talking and all involved. And thank you for being here. What a good crowd this morning. Great to see you. If you have your Bible, please open to Genesis chapter 6. The book of Genesis chapter 6. <clears throat> we have been going through the Old Testament stories on Sunday evenings. And so we're going to continue that uh, this morning. A lot of folks look at the Bible <clears throat> and they believe that it is just a lot of individual stories that you can apply to your life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But really, if you look at the Bible, it is a story front to back about the work of God. It's a story about God reconciling and redeeming a lost world to himself. And so that's what we see. We see what God has done, what God is doing, and also what God is going to do. In Genesis 1, God created the world around us. It was not a big bang. It was the voice of God. Amen? So God spoke the world into existence, and the Bible says he looked out and everything was good. Then in chapter 2, we see Adam and Eve, and they're in this beautiful garden of Eden. It's amazing, and they're, they're walking in this, this great fellowship with God, great fellowship with each other. Everything looks wonderful. And then in chapter 3, the serpent comes. Serpent comes and deceives Eve, and she gives in to sin. Adam gives in to sin, and evil is brought into the world. There are consequences. There are great punishments that come because of that. But God is not caught off guard. He's not disillusioned. He's not dismayed. He says in chapter 3 that there's going to be one from the seed of Eve who will crush the serpent under his heel. And so the Lord is looking towards the coming Messiah and says, this is not the end. There's good things that are to come. Chapter 4, Eve holds the first baby that's been born on the planet. She holds this baby Cain, and she's hoping, anticipating that maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one who will squash the serpent under its heel, but it's not. Cain turns out to be a murderer, and he goes out and murders his brother Abel. Genesis chapter 5 is a chapter of genealogy, and that leads us to Genesis chapter 6. It's interesting, when you get to Genesis chapter 6, things have changed, and they've changed so quickly. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You went from chapter 1 when everything was good to chapter 6 where it's described as evil, violent, wicked, and corrupt. Can I just tell you that sin brings destruction? Sin brought destruction in Genesis, and even today, sin brings destruction to my life and to your life. And so when we get to Genesis 6, we are looking at some wicked and some dark days, and you might say, well, that sounds familiar, and you would be right. We are living in some wicked days. We're living in some dark days. We're living in some evil days. That does not catch the believer by surprise. Jesus said in Matthew 24, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so I want to just tell you the truth this morning. Things are not going to get better. Things are going to get worse. As history progresses, as we approach the great day of judgment, our world will come increasingly more like the days of Noah. There will be more violence. There will be more evil. 
and corruption all around us. So I want us to consider this morning, how do we as believers, as men and women of God, how do we shine brightly in the midst of a wicked culture? How do we stand firm on our faith in the midst of a generation that is going so fast and so far away from the things of God? How are we found faithful? And we see that from the life of Noah. So a few things I want you to see about Noah. You're in Genesis chapter 6. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. First thing I want you to see is that Noah was favored. Now your translation might say Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It is the same thing, the same principle. Some people read these verses as if Noah found favor with God because he was righteous or because he lived a blameless life. But that's not the case, and if you read it that way, you're getting it backwards. Verse 9 does not come before verse 8, neither is there a connecting participle as if to say Noah found favor because he was righteous or because he was blameless or because he walked with God. There's a great biblical principle that we need to understand, and that is that the grace of God always comes first. Listen to me again. The grace of God always comes first. We like to imagine that God loves us because of what we are. Or God loves us because of what we can become. But God does not love us because of anything that we do, nor is he gracious because of our efforts. God loves solely because he loves. There's nothing that you can do in your life to make God love you any more than he loves you. He is gracious to us simply because he is gracious. When he's talking about the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, I didn't choose you because you were the most numerous. I love you simply because I love you. And you might ask, well, what kind of logic is that? Well, it may not make sense, but it is the logic of grace. If grace were based on anything in us, it would not be grace. There's nothing in us that can draw forth the favor of God. But it's even more wonderful than that, for it's not merely that we are undeserving, but we are deserving of the complete opposite. We are sinners, and we deserve the wrath of God. Romans 5, 8 says, But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to think about the grace of God, because it is foundational to our faith. If we misunderstand grace, then we start to think that in some way we have earned the favor of God. And when we think we've earned the favor of God, it leads to a spiritual pride. And in that pride, we begin to look down upon others. We see an example of this in Luke chapter 18. You can open in your Bible or it'll be on the screen for you. Luke chapter 18 we see an individual who had totally lost the idea of grace. It says, two men, beginning in verse 9, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by him prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. For I fast twice a week. 
I give tithes of all I get. And you can picture it, can't you? Here's a guy in the temple, and he's, he's praying, but he's praying this self-righteous prayer, and he puffs himself up in this spiritual pride, and he says, God, I am, I'm so grateful that I'm not like all these other folks, all these liars and adulterers, all these folks, and even that tax collector right there, thank you, God, that I am not like him because I am something. I am somebody. I'm always here. I'm always faithful. I'm always active. I always give off my income. And, and we laugh, but there are folks in churches that feel that way. There are folks in churches who have been going to church for so long that they have built up this pride, and they walk around strutting like they are God's gift to the church. I've had folks tell me that. I've had folks in this church tell me, you have no idea how much money I give to this church. I don't care. I honestly don't. The finance team might care. I don't care. I've had folks who just walk up in such pride like they are somebody, and that's what this man's doing. Look at me. Look at what all I've done. But the verse continues. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which one do you think God approves of? Who do you think God approves of in this passage? says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, if we're not careful, we buy into this work-based salvation to where we try to earn the favor of God. We try to earn the love of God, and we get our little spiritual checklist, and before we go to bed, we make sure that we check everything off to make sure that we have earned the right spot before God. And I want to tell you, it never works. Your best will never be enough. My best will never be enough. I, I found a, I, I don't, I'm not one to go to museums and look around, but I, I did find a, a piece in a museum. We're going to show you a picture of it up on the screen. This, this machine is in a museum, and when it was, was first put in the museum, it, it's built around this plexiglass, as you can see, and they put these sensors on this arm, and the, the robot arm senses when the hydraulic fluid is escaping. You can see it looks like, like red blood. It's hydraulic fluid that escapes, and the robot is programmed to pull all that fluid back into its base because without it, it will surely die. And so it's interesting, when they put the robot in the museum, at first they could do a good job of containing the fluid. And so they even programmed the machine to pull the fluid in and then it would lift its arm and it would spin in a circle and it would shake and the crowd would come and they would clap and it almost looked like the machine was happy, like it was having a good time. But as time progressed, the spill got larger and larger. And the, the robot arm had less time to do its little happy dance, but it was constantly trying to pull in the fluid. And so it would pull in from this side, then it would twist around, it would pull in on this side. And some of the fluid escaped and it got on the walls, it got on the plexiglass, it turned into a, a dirty environment, but the machine kept working. It kept working as hard as it could to pull this fluid in. After three years of doing this, the machine died because it could not keep up. The owners or the, the makers of the machine said, we knew that would happen. It could never save itself. It was going to die trying. And as I thought about that, I thought, man, that's a good picture of the church. 
There's a lot of folks in churches all over today, and they are depending on their own efforts. They're depending on their own works, and they're going as fast as they can, as hard as they can, and they're pulling the fluid in. If I can just be a good man, and they're trying to be a good man, if I can be a good husband or a good wife, a good mother, a good father, a person with, with high morals, and they're, they're working. If I can go to church as often as possible, and they're pulling it in. If I can give money, if I can drive a bus, if I can go to visitation, all this stuff, they're trying to pull it in, pull it in, pull it in. But it's never going to be enough. It'll never satisfy. It will never save you. You're going to work yourself to death, and that's not the way it was intended to be. That's why Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Your best efforts in life will never be enough. We learn to be busy. We learn to be active. We mistake busyness with productivity. But our church attendance, our giving, our pretending will never be enough. The Bible does not say that Noah earned favor. The Bible says that Noah found favor. Listen, in this room this morning, if you are saved, you are saved solely on the grace of God. Amen? You are saved solely on the grace of God. There, there's nothing you can do to earn that. Don't belittle what the Lord has done in your life. We're talking about grace. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey says the following. He says, grace is scandalous. It's hard to accept. It's hard to believe. And it's hard to receive. Grace shocks us in what it offers. It is truly not of this world. It frightens us with what it does for sinners. Grace teaches us that God does for others what we would never do for them. We would save the not so bad. But God starts with the prostitutes and then works downward from there. Grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. It is given to those who don't deserve it, to those who barely recognize it and hardly appreciate it, and that's why God alone gets the glory in your salvation. Jesus did all the work when he died on the cross. You see, when we think about grace, it takes the focus off of us and it puts the focus on God. Listen, it's not about you this morning, it's about him. That was a wonderful time of worship, but if it didn't just tickle your feathers, that's okay. It wasn't for you, it was for him. When we understand grace, we realize it's not about me. I'm nothing, and he is everything. And, and there, there's two types of folks even here this morning. This morning, there are some here because they feel like they have to be here. They come every week. Now, if the truth were told, there's a hundred other places that you might rather be, but you're here out of obligation. But there are some here, and there's nowhere you'd rather be. You're here, and when that great I am comes up, I mean, you just can't hold it in. It is so good. You cannot wait to sing the praises of God. You love him so much. There's some here that when it comes time to open up God's word and to dive in and to, to grow and to learn and to understand, that just gets you excited. You're excited about it. Now, I can't look out and see the difference. Your spouse may not can tell the difference in you, but you know the difference. Well, why do you do the things that you do? Is it because you're excited about the things of God, or is it because you're trying to work your way into it? 
You see, when we understand grace, it always leads to thanksgiving. It always leads to thanksgiving in our hearts. Is there anyone here this morning that looks at their life and just steps back and says, my goodness, God has been so good to me. Anybody, do you do that? Do you just look and say, goodness, God, you're so good to me. Do you just look and say, my goodness, God, your forgiveness and, and your mercy and, and your grace, your forgiveness, all these things, they just overwhelm me. It's, it's almost too much, and it makes you excited. Is there anybody here who feels that way, that you're just amazed by God? by who he is, by the fact that you're a child of God. You, if you're saved, you're a child of the King of Kings, God of the universe, and he loves you so much that he sent his son into the world to die on a cross. Does it amaze you that he loves you so, so much? And because of that, you want to grow closer. You want to be here this morning. You want to worship. You want to sing the songs. You want to open up your Bible. You want to pray because it just gets you going. And you realize how great God is. And then you worry less and less about yourself. You worry less and less about getting the credit. You worry less and less about getting the spotlight. You worry less and less about your rights because you realize it's not about me. It's all about him. There's a quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones, it says, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. I, I was working on this message last Monday. We were driving to Texarkana, going to watch Mason Max play a football game. Uh, Coach Holston's here somewhere. I think we lost like 60 to zero, so it was not a, was not a good game. <clears throat> But we were, we were going, and I asked, I asked Brittany, I said, would you drive? Because I've got I've to get some sermons going. And so I was working on this, this sermon, and I, I got to this point, and I stopped, and I looked out the window, and I was just watching as the trees went by. And, and I listened to the song on the radio. And a lot of you will know, I'll just read the chorus to you. It says, I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I've got Jesus. How could I want more? And it struck me. That, that's it. See, when we get to the point that we lose our, our wonder of the grace of God, then spiritually we're in a bad spot. I, I want Woodland Hills to be a place, a group of folks who don't get over the grace of God. We wake up every day and we realize, God, you are so good to us. You're so good. God, you are amazing. Thank you for what you've done. Because when we live that way, it affects the world around us. Now, the world could care less about your work-based religion. They could care less about that. That's what every other religion of the world is. It's simply based upon works. What they're looking for is something different. And, folks, we're something different something that's set apart for the kingdom of God. We're not looking at what we can do. We're looking at what the Lord has already done for us. So don't lose your wonder of the grace of God. Don't lose your excitement or your zeal for the grace of God. Think back about what he's done for you, how he's changed your life. Every good thing in your life is directly from God. It's not from you. It's not because of your hard work or your dedication or your intellect or your work ethic. No, it is because of the grace of God. And I'm looking at folks this morning who have been so blessed by God. 
don't take it for granted. Don't take for granted what he's done for you. And then there's a few more points, and I promise we'll move quickly through these. Three areas in which God's grace is said to have changed the life of Noah. Look at verse 9. Simply says, Noah was a righteous man. Noah was righteous. Noah is the first man in the Bible who is said to have been righteous. You see, grace leads to righteousness. It's not the other way around. What is righteousness? It's behavior that is morally right in the sight of God. Righteousness is based upon the standard of God. It's not based upon our culture. It's not based upon our society. It is based upon his word. Amen? You want to know what right and wrong is? It's found right in this book that I hold in my hands. That's our absolute, that's our standard. And listen, when we get the grace of God, it's going to lead to righteous living. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We must not hurry over this truth. It matters. It's important because I get sick and tired of folks who say, Well, I'm a Christian, but it doesn't affect anything in my life. It just can't be that way. You can't say I'm a Christian and keep living in the sin that you've always lived in. When you come to Christ, you surrender your life, you carry your cross, you die to yourself, and you begin to live for the Lord and the King, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so there's a lifestyle change when it happens. It is an oxymoron to say I'm a believer, but I'm living in sin. An oxymoron is a, uh, to use terms that contradict each other. And when we are set apart for the things of God, we wish to avoid sin at all costs. Righteousness means striving for a sanctified life before God. It means that I'm searching my life diligently to find what does not honor God. And when I find it, I'm willing and I'm ready to change my life because of it. It doesn't mean that I find sin in my life and I accept it. It doesn't mean that I find sin in my life and I find a way to justify it. So I want to ask you this morning, is your life righteous? Is your life righteous? Are you set apart? Is there a righteousness to your living? A.W. Tozer says, when God declares a man righteous, he instantly sets about to make him righteous. Our error today is that we do not expect a converted man to be a transformed man. And as a result of this error, our churches are full of substandard Christians. We must look at our life and find the areas of unrighteousness and change those. But then we also see, back to verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. The second area is that he's said to be blameless. Now, righteousness deals with his standing before God, but blameless deals with his standing with his contemporaries. And so when they looked at Noah, there was something different. There was something different about his life. Do you remember when they were trying to find a flaw against Daniel? And they looked and they looked and they looked and they came back and said, we can find nothing unless it has to do with his guide. He was living such a life above reproach that they could find no flaw. That's what it's talking about. Our life being different, to be blameless, to be set apart for the things of God. And, and I wonder, I'm not trying to meddle too close, but I wonder today if, if I followed you all week long, and every time you got on your phone, if I was behind your shoulder, 
and I saw what you were doing, would I say that your life is blameless? I wonder if when, when you're on the computer and you're surfing around the internet, if I was behind your shoulder, would I say that's a, a blameless individual? I wonder if I followed you to your job and it happened to be one of those days that nothing goes right. You ever have those days? Yesterday I told Brittany we had a leaky faucet in the bathroom. I said, I'm going to fix this faucet. She said, how long will it take? And I said, about 10 minutes. Two hours later I was still trying to figure it out. One of those days, you have those days that nothing goes right. If I followed you on one of those days that, that nothing went right, would I still say he's a blameless man? If I was on the couch with you when, when nobody else is around and you were flipping through the channels, would I say they are blameless? If I was on the phone when you're talking to your friends, would I listen to the conversation and say, she's a blameless lady? If I could have a, a transcript of your thoughts and I could read your thoughts, would I say that's a blameless individual? Could you be called blameless? Because you're trying to live to such a, a high standard to point this, this wicked, dark, evil, decaying world away from the evil into the Lord Jesus Christ. Or could it be that when people see you, you just blend in with everybody else? I'll never forget when I was working with the youth ministry here, there was a, a young person in our group, and I was taking him home after a youth event. And I could tell something was bothering him, and so I began to talk to him and ask him, you know, what's going on? Are you okay? And he began to share some things out of his, his life. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Case, you guys, you guys go and you, you go to the church and, you know, you see my parents. You see my, my mama and you think she's so godly and so devoted. You see my daddy and you think he's such a, a strong believer. But when we go home, my parents are so different. My parents are not the same people at church that they are at home. And I remember that just struck me because I think it's so true for a lot of us at times that we can come to church and we can pretend to be all blameless and pious and righteous and put our smile on and wear our good clothes and look the part. But would your children, would your children say that you're blameless, that, that you're really striving to honor God? Would your husband or your wife, they see the worst of you, would they say that you're blameless? I'm not saying sinless, but I'm saying you're, you're trying to be different. You're trying to live in such a way that brings honor to God. A quote I read, the three most important ingredients in the Christian life are integrity, integrity, integrity. And the last thing we'll see this morning is that Noah walked with God. Look back at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. The third idea, I, I can't help but pause and, and like this one. I've got my boys, they're older now. They, they don't hold my hands any, anymore. But Kaysen, my little girl, she's five. And she is as independent as she could be. She loves to run and meet friends and be large and in charge. But when we find ourselves in a crowd... She'll always make her way back to daddy, and she'll put her hand up, and I'll grab her hand, and she'll walk, holding on to me. You see, she doesn't know where we're going, but daddy does. She doesn't know what's around the next corner, but daddy does. She doesn't know what the plan is, 
but daddy dies. And so as long as she holds on to her daddy's hand, she knows that she's going to be okay. I think that's the idea when we, we read that Noah walked with God. And we're to walk with God, have that deep relationship. There's a lot of things that we don't know. Israel, what's going on? Man, that, that's crazy. We don't know what's going to happen. But God does. So when you look at the economy and it's all going down again and we shake our hands and throw our arms up and say, I don't know what's going to happen. Listen, God does. There's a lot of things in your life, personal things that maybe nobody knows about and you don't know how to respond. You don't know what to do and you get, you get nervous and you get anxious. Can I just tell you, just hold on to the hand of God because he's in charge. Walk with God. And so maybe you look at this and you say, man, that's a lot. To, uh, I found the, the grace of God, and now I'm supposed to be righteous and blameless and walk with God. Where do I start? I think this is the place to start. If you look and you say, I want to grow, how do I grow? Just push into your relationship with God. What am I asking you to do? Think about how good God's been to your life and let that just stir up this love and affection like you've never experienced before in your life. And then go into this relationship. Lord, thank you for who you are. I want to grow closer and closer and closer. Because listen, when you do, it will lead to righteous living. It always does. When you do, it will lead to a blameless lifestyle. It always does. And so I'm asking you, push into that relationship. Let it be said that you walk with God. It doesn't happen naturally. It's not going to happen overnight. It's a lifestyle of godly choices. To say, I am striving after the things of God. John Piper says this. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Think about that. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Find your satisfaction in God. Not in money or junk. Find your satisfaction in God. And then you're going to bring him so much glory. Remember the greatest commandment? Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all that you are. I want to ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about it. I want you to think about your life. Number one, I want you to ask yourself the question, have I experienced the grace or the favor of God in my life? You see, it could be that you're trying to work your way in and it'll never be enough. Could be that you're like that little robot arm and you're pulling and you're working and you're doing all that you can do, but it's never gonna satisfy. And you need to come to the time that you experience the grace of God. Could be that you know that you're saved, but you've lost your excitement about the grace of God. And maybe the Lord's challenged you with that. Maybe today you realize God has blessed me. God's done so much for me. I need that to change my life. And if so, righteous living, to be a man or a woman who's righteous, right in the eyes of God, are you righteous? Blameless amongst your contemporaries. When people see you, do they see someone who's different, someone who's set apart? If not, what needs to change? And lastly, do they see someone who's walking with God? Someone who longs to be with the Lord. You love Bible study, you love prayer. You love to be as close to the Lord as you possibly can. Lord, let that to be true of us. Let us to seek you with all of our hearts, God. To honor you with our life 
and to not take for granted all the wonderful things you've done for us. God, you are so good. Thank you for your many, many blessings. I pray that you'll have your will and your way during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing. God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again in Jesus' name, and in Jesus' name I come to you to share his love. just for a moment and uh, let's see this evening five o'clock ladies Bible study you want to be a part of that it's been going fantastic and then six o'clock right here we're gonna be continuing on in Genesis 6 and so I hope you'll make your way back this evening also kids praise is going on at six o'clock and so that will be great also 
Wednesday night regular activities, so find your spot, be where you're supposed to be. And uh, let me just encourage you, if you are not in a life group this morning, come next Sunday, 9.30. Make sure you find you a life group, okay? Now, one more special announcement. Today is Brother Charles's birthday. And so I want to invite you. He's, uh, he's traveling, and they're having a great, great time, great vacation. But take a moment today. Send him an email, maybe a Facebook message, a text message, whatever you want to do. Just take a moment today and let him know what a blessing he is in your life.